your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Continuing our study in 2 Timothy, we come to the last two verses of chapter 3 this morning. I think the Bibles in the pews are back. If you happen to be using one of those, it would be on page 996 if you're not familiar with the Bible. Chapter 3 is the large number there, and then 16, verse 16 and 17. Those are the smaller numbers. We'll read those last two verses. This is what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Our Father, we recognize that these words about Your Scripture being breathed out have themselves been breathed out by You. So we pray today that You will open our ears and our hearts to hear them, to hear what they mean, to hear how they ought to inform our lives. I pray for Your help in teaching, that I might do so with clarity and with power, for Your glory, and for the sake of Your church, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Any sport that you happen to play, whether you played volleyball or basketball or soccer or football or badminton or, you know, ping pong or whatever it is that you've played, there are some basics to each sport, fundamentals that you come back to over and over and over again so that those who are in the pros in the NFL are working on the same fundamental techniques that little kids are trying to learn. And uh, I remember uh, reading an article in uh, like Golf Digest or something 15 years ago about how to hold a club and swing it, which would be helpful to know, especially if you play like I do. And when my swing is off kilter, I think back to that article to get back to the basics, the fundamentals. There are certain things, if you're going to play those sports, that you honestly never leave behind. And when our, because if you leave them behind, if you try to go on to something else, you're going to get off track very, very quickly, and you're not going to do what you're supposed to do. And in our own lives as Christians, we can actually get off track if we get away from the fundamental things, from things that are very basic and foundational to our faith. So, when a, for example, a theological system is our final authority for faith and life, we've gotten off track. When we listen to and follow any Bible teacher, even a generally reliable teacher with no discernment as if he or she is infallible, we've gotten off track. When we start believing that our feelings are the reliable guides for life, 
we've gotten off track. When we're looking for some sign or some dream to be the last word on making decisions, we've gotten off track. In terms related to golf, our swing's out of sorts. And we need to get back to the basics, back to the Bible. And that's actually what these two verses help us to do, is to reset our minds. You know, these factory resets on your computer. Coming back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is like a factory reset. You get back to what the proper operating system ought to look like for life. Last week, as we looked at verses 10 to 15... Timothy was calling, uh, Paul was calling Timothy to continue in what he's learned, to continue in the faith, to continue in the sacred writings. Why? Verse 15, they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the Bible certainly is significant in our coming to faith, isn't it? 1 Peter 1 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. That's what Peter writes, and Paul writes elsewhere, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. There is no coming to faith in Jesus apart from the Word of Christ. So, if you happen to be one who is thinking about what Christianity is or how one becomes a Christian, no one actually becomes a Christian apart from what is taught in the Bible, okay? So, we're, we're a very wordy bunch, Christians, because God has given us words, words to teach us, words to help us, words that reveal, words that do a number of things that we will see momentarily. So, we don't come to faith apart from the Word of Christ. However, here, Paul is talking to Timothy, who's already a Christian. So, Paul's not so much talking about coming to faith here. He's not telling Timothy that he needs to come to faith. He's writing about the life of faith, which is a huge part of salvation. Remember, there are three tenses to salvation, right? I have been saved. That's in the past. I am being saved now. I will be saved in the future. But all of these three aren't like separate compartments that you can just pick which one you want. They all go together, okay? You can't have one and not have them all. You have to have them all. They're inseparable. So, Paul's speaking of this present tense salvation. It's able to make you wise for salvation, Timothy. It's able to help you to grow in Christ. It's able to make you wise for what we call progressive sanctification. And in these two verses that we're looking at today, Paul elaborates on these sacred writings, which are so important for our progressive sanctification, for our growth in Christ, our growth in faith. And here's what I believe Paul's point is, is that God's inspired Word equips His people for life and service. Paul's ins God's inspired Word equips His people for life and service. Now, Timothy's been with Paul a long time. You, you, see, you, you know this, right? There's no way this is new information to Timothy. This is a reminder. How many of you have ever read or studied 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 before? Just ever. You've ever heard a sermon? You ever read it? 
Are you afraid of raising? We're not a Pentecostal church. You can raise your hand and be okay, all right? Or you can wave. Thank you, Nick, all right? The fact is, is that for many people, you, you go home from church, you say, well, what did you learn today? Well, I didn't learn anything. I knew all of that stuff already. Well, that's exactly what Timothy would be thinking as he read these two sentences. He'd be like, Paul has said this so many times, it's been drilled into my brain. And yet, the apostle seems to think that Timothy needs a reminder. He needs a reminder because he's living in a dark world and there is deception all around and he needs to be reminded. It's interesting, I did only a very brief uh, sweep of some historical confessions of faith this, uh, this week, and it wasn't until the second London Confession, which is like in, it started being written in mid-1650s, something around there. Uh, but here's the thing, is that all of the, thing, all of the confessions of faith before that that I found begin with who God is. But there in the midst of the 17th century, you know where they begin? This is what Scripture is. Our statement of faith begins with what is the Scripture. Why would we begin there? Well, because in our world, you can't just start with God. You've got to start with where you get in your information about God. And so that's why we start there. Well, Paul is taking him back to these basics. Apparently, he needs the reminder, and apparently we do as well. So we're going to think about a few things. First of all, the nature of the Bible. We see the nature of the Bible here. So when we open up this book and we read it, and when Paul was writing, you understand it wasn't written in English. The New Testament is in Greek. There are sections in Aramaic. There's Hebrew in the Old Testament. What, what exactly are we dealing with here? Because after all, there are plenty of books in which human beings try to conceive of a supreme being. They try to come up with what that supreme being might be like, and multiple religions have writings that seek to explain God. But the unique thing about the Bible is that it is not a record of human beings seeking to explain God. It is God's special revelation of Himself to us. Now look, if you went to my house right now, you rummage through all the drawers, good luck. If you'll finish putting the kitchen cabinets back on after they've been painted, I'd appreciate that if you're going to go over there and do it. But the, you rummage through the drawers, you look through the cabinets, you look on the bookshelves, you go to my office, you look at the office, you look at the books on the shelves, you look in the trunk of my car where I, stand, I am on standby at all times to play golf. There are always golf clubs in the trunk of my car. So if you, if, if you go through all of that, you know what you'll learn? Something about me. You'll learn something, right? You'll pick something up. You'll have some knowledge about me. But if we were to sit down and we started having a conversation and I told you things, I started using words. I told you my story. I told you about important moments in my life or what decisions I made and why I made them and how I responded to this or that or whatever it is. Then you're going beyond knowing about me to knowing me. Make sense? Well, you can look around in all of creation, and the Bible tells us that we will learn some things about God, His power, His divinity. We know things just because we have a conscience. That points to something about God. But you see, the Bible is God saying, let's sit down for just a little while, and let me tell you about me. 
because I know all about you. I know everything about you. But let me tell you about me. And that is what we have in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that we have that in words recorded for us? I mean, friend, if you and I are ever going to know God, His words in this book are indispensable. You don't get to know God more apart from the words that He has given us. You can't. It's impossible. The question this morning is, do you know God? Do you know Him? Do you know what the Bible says of Him? That He is our holy Creator and our judge. That in the end, your evaluation of your life and my evaluation of my life and our evaluation of one another's lives doesn't matter a hill of beans. Do you know that God has the final say, that He holds the gavel? Do you know that we as human beings are made in the image of God? We were made for fellowship with God and we ruined it all by rebelling against Him so that what we're liable to is eternal judgment. That's what we deserve. And do you know that God could have left us there and been absolutely just for all eternity, and yet because He is merciful and great in love, He sent Jesus Christ. He Himself came in the flesh. God came to us. Do you know that? Do you know that He lived a life you can never live? Do you know that He died to pay for your sin, and when you trust in Him, His perfectly righteous life is credited to your account as if you did it? Do you know that you can't just know those facts, but you must trust Him? That you must trust in Him, resting in the merit of Jesus alone to save you. This is what the Bible tells us. Do you know God? All Scripture, Paul says, is breathed out by God. That's what we have here. Now, of course, the word Scripture would typically, when it's used in the New Testament, typically just refers to what we call the Old Testament. But there are places in the New Testament where you get these little hints, right, that the apostles understand that part of their work is actually writing down the revelation of God. So that in 2 Peter 3, Peter says, well, you know all these, this is verse 15 and 16, but it's kind of my... Toby paraphrase, all right? This is even looser than the message, all right? So, hey, you know all these teachers that just go around and they're twisting Paul's words. You know those guys? Well, they, they're, they're ignorant and they twist the truth of the... They twist Paul's words and then they says, and all the other scriptures. Now, if Paul's words are along with the other scriptures, you know what Peter thinks of Paul's writings? They're scriptures. They fit in that category. It's interesting in 1 Timothy 5, Paul doesn't just quote the Old Testament in speaking about the ministry of elders. He also quotes Luke's gospel, recording uh, that, you, that, that you, 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 uh, laborer is worth his wages in 1 Timothy 5.18. All scripture does mean the Old Testament, but it means the new. It means all 
And it's all breathed out by God. The breath of God carries His words, carried His words to the minds of the men who wrote with their pens and wrote them down so that we speak. Not in the way an artist is inspired. You know, kind of that internal nudge, like you see something beautiful or you hear of something tragic and you need to create something in response. This is not that at all. What happens with the Bible is that it is breathed out by God. For Peter says that these men who wrote it were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Nobody just came up with this stuff. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that as we read Paul's words, we can rightly say, here's what Paul says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And we can also say, here's what God says. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Both are true. Now, I want you to think about your words for just a moment. As your words go out, they carry something of you with them. They carry your ideas, your content, you know, your ideas, beliefs, desires. They carry your character with them. Your truthfulness, your reliability. Have you ever worked with someone who seemed to consistently lie about one thing or another? Have you? You ever been around someone like that? Do you find it difficult to believe that person when they speak? Why is that? Because character comes with our words. Authority comes with our words. I want you to imagine that you go to your... Let's say you go to a cubicle every week. You go to your cubicle, I mean with your mask on, you have your cubicle, but you're in your cubicle with your mask, and the person who cleans the building you work in walks by and says, you need to have that expense report on my desk by Friday, or there will be consequences. Okay. The person who cleans the building tells you, now, now your boss walks by, says, you need to have that expense report on my desk by Friday, or there will be consequences. Now, it's the exact same words, but isn't it different coming out of the boss's mouth than it is out of the other person who's not in authority? The authority comes along with it. If one of my children runs in and says to another child, hey, clean your room, well, that will never happen, all right? But let, we're pretending now, all right? <laughs> Let's say that that happens. Well, that's something, but then if I walk in and I say the same exact words, clean your room, in the same way that my child did, the authority changes, doesn't it? Not because the words change, but because the person speaking them is in a position of authority or of leadership. The same is true of God's words. They carry His content. They carry His characters, so they are perfect. They will never mislead you because God cannot and does not lie. They carry His authority. He is the eternal supreme ruler of the universe, and His sovereign authority fills every word on every page. All of it is God's revelation of Himself. Okay? So that's the nature of the Bible. The usefulness of the Bible. Paul goes on, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Paul says all Scripture is profitable. It's useful. Now, in my house, 
One of the few, one, I grill, when, when it comes to cooking, I grill and I make chicken fingers. These are the two things that I do. And when we make chicken fingers, well, I make eggs too, all right? So I probably make something else, but that's all I can think of right now. But making these chicken fingers, before they actually get, you know, the coating to go into the heavenly oil that will make it so crispy and yummy, uh, you, you have to, there's a little piece, a little tendon that you, because it's absolutely useless, you never want to be the person who gets that little tendon in your mouth. It's awful. So you just cut it off, you throw it away, it's useless. What Paul is saying is, there's no part of the Bible like that. There are no tendons in the Bible to be clipped off and thrown away because they're useless. There's nothing like that in the Bible. All of it is profitable. What for? Well, for teaching, instruction, and doctrine. But not just so that we can fill our heads with knowledge, you understand. It's always teaching with a view to life. Right? You dads who taught your, or, or are teaching your children to, uh, to change the oil in their car, you didn't just sit them down in the living room and read from a book. This is how you change your oil. You're actually doing it. And you say, well, first you do this, and you show them, and then you take off the oil filter, and you show them, and then you put the oil filter. If you don't put the oil filter and the, then the bolt back on, and you try to fill it with oil, you'll learn very, very quickly how bad that is, right? But the Bible teaches us never just to be smarter, but to be sanctified so that our thinking is changed, so that we live differently. The Bible is profitable for reproof. Reproof is a laying out of evidence that something has gone wrong and needs to be corrected. This is the word in Matthew 18 when Jesus tells His disciples, if your brother sins against you, tell him his fault. Tell him. That word for tell him is the same word here. It is to reprove. It is to lay out this is what went wrong. Have you ever had the Bible lay out what went wrong in your life? You ever had that happen? This means yes. This means no. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah, it does. The Bible is good for correction as well, to restore the ideas to restore what's been broken, to reform life. So the Bible is not uh, a cranky, a cranky uh, disciplinarian shaking its finger at us, not just telling us what is wrong. This is what's wrong with this, and this is what's wrong with that, and this is what's wrong with that. The Bible actually tells us how to correct what is wrong. So in Ephesians 4.29, Paul writes, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you see that? Could he stop with just, hey, don't speak with corrupt speech? Of course. But what does the Bible do? It goes beyond that. It doesn't just shake its bony finger in our face and tell us what is wrong. It does something much better. It says, this is wrong but this is what you need to replace it with. Put that off. Put off the corrupting talk. Put on speech that builds up and gives grace. And then, Scripture is useful for training in righteousness. 
Not to become righteous, you understand. Not to have a righteous standing before God. Christ has done that for us. But to live a righteous life, to live the life that God has called us to, to, in the words of Ephesians 4, 1, to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Do you know there's no author standing alone on any bookshelf that can teach you, reprove you, correct you, and train you in righteousness? There's not a book on any Christian bookstore that standing alone without the Word of God can do that. There's not a single one. I have no ideas for you on how to do that. I have nothing to tell you that is my idea for how you can be taught and reproved and corrected and trained in righteousness. Standing on my own, I, am, I have nothing. I'm a cracked pot. I'm an empty vessel. But the Bible says it all. The Bible is useful. All of Scripture is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, generally, these four things can be put into pairs, okay? Teaching and reproof, correction and training. The first two deal with beliefs. Generally, the second two deal with behavior. So not only can the Bible correct and teach, correct what's wrong and teach what's right when it comes to doctrine, it corrects what's wrong and teaches what's right in behavior, in life. Now, let me tell you where that meets the road, where the rubber meets the road on that. Because all of that is true, because the Bible does all of those things, when I treasure sin in my heart, when I seek myself and not the Lord, when I want to serve myself, when I want to honor myself and not the Lord, the place of the Bible in my life will change because I will get far as far away from the book that would correct all that as possible. When what I really want is to do things my way, I don't want any boy. Have you ever known someone like that? They just want to do their life that way. And any voice that happens to say, you're not making a wise decision here, they become the people they push the farthest away from them. Because we all want to surround ourselves with people who will pat us on the back and tell us that every decision that we ever made is absolutely right if it's right for you. And the Bible never does that because we don't make those kinds of decisions on our own. And so when the place of the Bible begins to shift, pay attention to that. When you don't feel it's as necessary to hear God's Word taught week by week when, when you're not really into the whole... I mean, I'm not going to be a legalist and have a Bible reading plan. I mean, I'm not saying you have to have a Bible reading plan. I'm just saying that if you just start pushing away things that will have you in the Scripture, 
Something else is wrong. Oh, we may go to church week by week, but are we actually listening to what God says? Are we coming in humility to the Lord, wanting to be changed, wanting to grow? We may check off the days of our reading plan, but do we actually pay attention to the words? All Scripture is profitable, but are we profiting from it? The Scripture is useful. Last thing, the sufficiency of the Bible. The sufficiency of the Bible. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, man of God was a title. I mean, that is quite a title in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it's only used of Timothy. And in the Old Testament, it was used for people like Moses and Elijah and the prophets. That's who was called man of God. These were men who were messengers of God. And so such men had to be equipped. But don't limit yourself to thinking this is only for Timothy because do you know what messengers are equipped to do? What are messengers equipped to do? Deliver the message, right? I mean, that would be silly to be called a messenger and never take the message to anyone. And actually, in Ephesians 4, Paul says that pastors and teachers are meant to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so as we think about what it means to be equipped, we're thinking about what it means for all of us. And there are three questions I want to ask. What does it mean to be equipped? Well, here's basically what it means. It means you have everything you need. When he says complete and equipped, it means You've got everything you need for the task at hand. If you are going, my wife is leaving town tomorrow to go visit her brother. Uh, uh, thank you for those who are already praying for him. But she is going, if she goes to the airport without her ID, she's not equipped. She's not getting on that plane. I mean, she can sweet talk me all day long, but I'm pretty sure the airline's not letting her on the airplane. She doesn't have what she needs. She's not equipped. But Paul is saying the Scripture is profitable so that the man of God may be equipped. It means we have everything that we need. That's what it means to be equipped. And if the Bible provides that, then the Bible provides everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. Everything. Keep going. Second question, why are we equipped? Well, he says equipped for every good work. We're equipped for good works, not, not to do good works to become a Christian. This is the Bible equipping those who are already Christians to live a life of faith and of good works. This is what Ephesians 2.10 says, isn't it? That we are, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, a life of good works. But now don't just start thinking the big stuff. Like you think about doing good works and people think about, oh, he's only talking about like mission trips or going door-to-door -door evangelism or something else. Now those are wonderful things. But good works are anything done for the glory of God and the good of others. Being a good friend, raising your children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, being a good steward of your home, doing your job well, doing schoolwork well. Now, look, the Bible doesn't tell us how to be a mechanical engineer. But it does tell us how a mechanical engineer can honor God as a mechanical engineer. It doesn't tell us how to do and fold and put away laundry. But it does, tell us, it does equip us 
to honor God as we do and fold and put away laundry. It does not teach us how to do mathematics, or it does not teach us our spelling words, but it does teach us and equip us how to honor God as we do our math and learn our spelling words. You see the difference? The Bible is not exhaustive, but it is sufficient. It is sufficient. Third, how complete is this equipping? Well, Paul says every good work. Every? Paul. Okay, Paul, so do you mean every kind of good work or every individual good work? And Paul would say, yes. Every kind, every individual one. Every thought that pleases God, God's Word equips you to think it. Every word that pleases God, God's Word equips you to speak it. Every action that pleases God, God's Word equips you to do it. Every place of service that pleases God, God's Word equips you for it. There is nothing that God will require of you, no good work God wants from you, that His Word cannot equip you. Please get that under your hat. Because people will tell you that God's Word is not sufficient because of X, Y, Z, A, B, C, all these things. There is nothing God requires of you, no good work He wants from you, where His Word cannot equip you. So everything God requires you for, God's Word equips you for. Everything. The way you're walking through suffering right now, God's Word equips you for it. The way you're facing uncertainty in your job or uncertainty about another job, God's Word equips you for it. The way that you want to struggle and fight to have a more godly marriage, God's Word equips you for it. The problems in your finances and how to be faithful in the midst of that, God's Word equips you for it. The things that go on your in on in your body that you can't seem to explain and nobody else can. Look, I was there for eight years. I have a friend who's there now. God's Word did not reveal my diagnosis. But it surely, I could go my whole life and never be diagnosed with anything but be equipped to honor God the whole way. Did you know that? Do you believe that? And we say all this while we are thankful for the relief that God brings in various ways, but God's Word is sufficient. All Scripture for every good work. That's why we preach it. That's why we teach it. That's why we study it. That's why we sing it. That's why we read from it in our services. That's why we order our church life according to it. That's why we seek to obey it. That's why we counsel according to it, because God's inspired Word equips God's people for life and service. Do you want to live for God? Not a rhetorical question. Do you want to live for the Lord? Do you want to serve the Lord well? Then you have to have His Word every step of the way. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You are a God who speaks, who has taught us.
who rebukes us, who corrects us, who trains us through your word. Thank you for carrying along the men who wrote it down. Thank you that when we read their words, we are reading your words. We pray, God, that we would live as those who know your word is profitable, that it is not a waste of time to know and read and study and meditate and obey your word. We pray that you will equip us for life, equip us for service. We ask it all in the name of the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen.